This is Sam Sermons for the What Do I Do Now podcast. And before I hit my season finale next Monday, um, we're going to do something special right here. This is a best of and pulling clips from so many different episodes from so many different great guests that gave so many jewels throughout the entire season. It was hard to try to narrow it down, but I have a great group of people I absolutely want you to hear from again. And, I mean, I needed all of it again. I, I was listening back to it. I'm like, yo, there's some heavy stuff right here. And they really gave a lot of you guys something special. So if you just now get into the podcast, it's all good. All these episodes are definitely available however you listen to this right now, whether it be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Overcast, so many different avenues. So definitely take a look back and listen to the full episodes. But I'm going to give y'all pieces of some great topics I had with real people. And I started this entire journey off with my great friend, Carrie, also known as Gump. And her episode was titled Love. And here's how the journey started. So fast forward, you know, you end up marrying Marquise. You end up bringing two beautiful babies into this world. What was it like being both a wife and mother for your family? Honestly, I loved being a wife. Like, I loved it. We had, like, this cool little family unit. Like, he didn't have a lot of family. I don't have family at all. So, like, we just, we were this tight little running machine and it was dope that's amazing what's something that you know is a memory you have with your entire family that still resonates with you today even now we have roast battles like me my husband my kids we would just light each other up all day long and then you know it would be a competition like my husband told the worst jokes ever now my son tells the worst jokes ever so the reigning champ in the house is my daughter. And we still we still do that even though he's gone. But we were just known for that, just having a good time. That's what's up. I need you to share with one of the roasts that one of the kids, you or Marquise, let off one time to just, like, shut everything down. So you know um, head, shoulders, knees, and toes? Of course. All right. So my husband had really crazy-ass feet. I'm not going to hate on my husband on this podcast. But <laughs> he had these crazy-ass feet. And my daughter, he had his feet out. He was sitting down playing the game. And she walked up to him and she was like, Daddy, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, what are those? And she like started laughing at him. (laughs) He was so mad. He was so mad. He was like, she's right. She got it. She's been the champ ever since. And she's the baby. It's been a little over three years since Marquise has transitioned, correct? Yeah, just turned three years, July 7th. So three years ago, you had to ask yourself, whether out loud verbally or even to yourself subconsciously, a question. And it was a really big life change because you went from being a wife to a widower. So the question that is the basis of this entire podcast is, what do I do now? So my question right now is, in your what do I do now moment, what ensued? What was the next move? Oh, honestly, I just put my kids on my back and kept moving forward. It was so traumatic. Sometimes I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around like, damn, he's actually gone. But when you have two kids, it's not if it was just me, maybe I don't know if I would be as as far along as I am in my in my healing. But when you have two kids who didn't deserve to lose their father, I wasn't gonna let them lose their mother too mentally. Moving on in the season, I got to talk to a great friend of mine, Brandon Pope, who is a TV personality out in Chicago. 
and he has some great insight as well. How did it feel for you going from, you know, market 99, which isn't bad. Let's keep it real. Being in the top 100 market is great. But when you get to that point of now you're being on a morning show, people are seeing you like millions of people. It's not just, you know, a few hundred thousand. This is a large, much bigger scope. How does that make you feel? Or how did it make you feel? It was intimidating. I had some imposter syndrome, to be honest. Like, am I really good enough to make this jump, right? And there were there were some reasons for that. I, I kind of came in to this whole new show and I wasn't being given a, given a lot of uh, clear direction in terms of what they wanted until I messed up. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, okay. So that's what you guys wanted. Um, so it's, you know, once again, that trial by fire, right? It's kind of doing that process all over again. And yeah, you get imposter syndrome because you're, you're in this city, right? You know, The Dark Knight was filmed here. Uh, they filmed Empire here and, you know, all those Chicago PD and shows like that. And they film movies and stuff and legendary anchors. Um, there's always news to cover. I'd go to press conferences and it's tough being the new guy on the block, right? Fortunately, I had some great people in local media in Chicago that reached out, like that literally reached out. Uh, Courtney Guzman, who was at WGN, now she just got a new job in Cleveland, was one of the first people to greet me in Chicago. Love her for it. She, we were, we were both live at a scene, black woman, and she saw me and said, hey, <laughs> come here. Like, hey, what's up? She's like, Hey, what's your name? Blah, 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 you know, and really kind of brought me into the fold, right? And you need that. You don't get that everywhere, right? And so Chicago, to have people that did that for me and kind of brought me into the fold was awesome. So, yeah, man, but imposter syndrome was a real thing. I had to really check myself and tell myself, yeah, you deserve to be here. You worked, you worked your ass off. You do great work. You have the presence. You got to have a little bit of Kanye in you and, and talk up yourself. Because it's easy to look around and be like, dang, I'm not them. And one of my favorite parts of doing my podcast is getting to know stories that they would share and they got to really dig deeper into them. And right now you're getting ready to hear an excerpt from when he was talking about his Olympic experience in 2012. Your Kobe Bryant experience during the Olympics. Um, share how that was for you, man. Oh, man. And this is a story I don't share a lot. I know people were sharing their Kobe stories. I'm never big on like trying to like... I don't know. I always feel weird about like using someone's death that's famous to like share a personal anecdote. It feels like kind of clout chasey for me. And I saw a lot of people do stuff like that. And I just didn't want to do it. Um, but my experience with that was cool because it's just like, you know, you first walk in and literally the way it works, we walk into this gym in London. And it's all these NBA players just shooting around and they literally just like you go up to them and you talk to them. And I'm like, yo, what? So you got Kevin Love, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Anthony Davis, you know, LeBron, Kobe, KD, uh, Andre Iguodala, CP3, all these people, right? Darren Williams, uh, Tyson Chandler that you see on TV. And you can just walk up to these people. You can just walk up to them and be like, hey, what's up, man? What? So Kobe obviously had a lot of people around him, a lot of media around him. I think I was the only black person, at least the only black male that was there actually working as a journalist 
there were groupies there and people that were like just trying to get pictures and stuff. But like as a journalist, I was the only black journalist there. And so I was like way in the back of the media scrum. I'm trying to get in there. I'm trying to find a way to get my uh, recorder in. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget Kobe Bryant literally picking me out of the crowd and being like, hey, my man has a question here. Like quiet and kind of moving and wait, gesturing for people to kind of move out of the way so he can see me and I can get in there and get my recorder in. And I, I kind of, I kind of, I got to be honest, I blacked out, spaced out. I'm just like, oh my God, he spoke. <laughs> He's directed the, wow. And I don't remember what exactly I asked him. It was something about the game against Argentina, what he thinks the team needs to do better to beat them. Generic, stupid question that was probably already, <laughs> probably already asked, right? But he didn't act like it was stupid at all. And he validated it and he gave a great answer. And he said, hey, thanks a lot. Like, thank you. And that was that. But just to have him, like, you know, spot the black guy in the crowd and uplift that black guy in the crowd, black kid, really, kind of speaks to his character. That's who he was. He's uplifting others all the time, uplifting us. I didn't think much about that moment. Like, I think about it all the time, but I didn't think much about that moment until I see, like, stories from people about how Kobe Bryant was always uplifting people. And I'm like, dang, he... He did that for me too, you know? He's just a good dude. So it's good, it's good to see that. Not every athlete's like that. Not every celebrity is like that. And you know that because you interact with them too. Not everybody's like that. That's in, that's in the public eye. So to have somebody that's genuine and looking out for other people, looking out for their people, it's huge. Another one of my great guests was someone I'd never even met in person before. But I got to know him through social media over the years. And Cat Polavota is an incredible talent, friend, social activist, and entrepreneur. She has her own brick-and-mortar store, Cake Plus Resale Shop, and I got to talk to her about how the pandemic changed her small business. And, of course, right now, especially with the pandemic and a lot of small businesses aren't surviving, there are some that, you know, didn't get the small business loans and, you know, the help to help them keep afloat. So what's kind of setting you apart from everything else that's going on right now because you've almost had to circle back to your origins doing the e-commerce. Everything is online because, you know, during the social distancing, you know, city ordinances, I'm not sure how your city is moving with certain restrictions and businesses and what things you can and can't do. But how are you maneuvering through that now? Like what's your, almost like a, what do I do now with cake? Oh, that's such a great question. And I'm glad that's like that from your perspective, like it, that I'm not, you know, that that's what you're like um, observing for me. So honestly, I think it's like the community and my customers. I have really, really great customers. Like, I mean, just incredible people. And actually, when I started in 2017, half of my shop is crowdfunded. So instead of doing like traditional business loans, um, half of the money that I needed to start the shop, people contributed in a crowdfunding campaign. And like, so that I felt it feels like that was the start of like what has just been more and more and more beautiful community support for what I'm up to. So that's part of it. Like I would, it, I would, um, it would just be a really, really tough decision to, to have to like even consider closing. Um, but that's not where I'm at at all. And part of that is just because I know there's such support from my community. Um, also, I just, I, I know I have a great business idea. Like I just, I have a great business. Um, it's smart. Uh, it is like, it's meeting needs of our community. Um, and also like, 
my business is not recession proof, but like something that works when people don't have a lot of money, my business is still something that they're going to turn to. Um, because people always need clothes. <laughs> um, and if I'm selling clothes for much less than they cost in the store, you know, it's just, it's, um, it feels like something that can really be sustained. Now, that being said, like, I, I mean, like I've been running the numbers and honestly, like we're doing, I don't know, less than half of what some months it's like 25% only uh, in sales that of like versus the, the month in the previous year. So 2020 is shit. Like it's very tough. Um, but I, I think also like we are, and this is just, I'm an optimist at heart. I'm just like, I don't know, uh, painfully so. Um, but something that I really believe is that like necessity breeds invention and like we are, we meaning me and just like other business owners are forced to try new things and, you know, test different things out. And I know that when we get back to a new normal, those kind of things that we've tried, those experiences are going to make us even stronger because of it, you know? And because Kat is really, really big in the plus size community and being a champion for body positivity, I had a question to ask. I just got to be honest. I've picked up weight in the quarantine, some unwanted pounds and, you know, with certain gyms aren't open no more that I had free access to. I'm just not motivated to do much. But um, what's something that we can tell our audience in light of the pandemic to kind of have a different outlook versus just not liking it like I do? No, you know, I think everyone's comfortable with what they're comfortable with, but bodies do lots of body things. And what I've been telling everybody, because I mean, like what you're experiencing, actually, I know you're making light of it, but like truly, I think that's what a lot of people are experiencing. Like we're home, home for six months, like bodies are changing. But I would just like challenge you to think about the things that your body's doing. Like, hi, you're alive in the middle of a pandemic, you know? And so like, if your body is changing a little bit, it's changing a little bit. You're getting through um, and, you know, better alive with a body that's like just a little bit different, a little bit bigger than not, right? During the podcast, I got to get really, really down to earth with my closest friends, Kirsten and Brad from the Elevate episode. And yes, we had a few drinks, but here's what the conversation led to. All right, and Kirsten, I definitely want to take this time right now because I remember, if it's not mistaken, it was for your birthday, and you had an app that you were launching. Yes. And yeah. when you you were, we were sitting in the club, and like it's live, and I remember like being dumb excited for you. I need you to like plug your app right now <laughs> because my thing is real talk. Like we don't champion enough for ourselves enough. Right. So my thing is like as someone that knows you, someone that loves you, someone that cares about you, I'm like, I'm absolutely going to ride for you no matter what. So I need you to like right now on this podcast, <laughs> tell the people where they can get your app, especially if you're down here in Georgia because they absolutely need especially it. Especially if you're down here in Georgia. So the name of the app is The Black Market mm-hmm. GA. Georgia. Only Georgia for now. For now. But um, yes, that that's my baby. That app came about. Actually, shout out to you, Sam, because you are the reason that I actually went public with it in the first place. I had been working on that thing for over a year in silence. I mean, I didn't tell nobody what maybe two or three people but i was talking to you that night <laughs> that's what made me go ahead and be like all right i'm gonna go ahead and tell them but yeah yeah it's called the black market it's just a directory of black owned businesses credible ones here in georgia you got to be careful down here but here in the state of georgia um and it's not just atlanta i think that's where the frustration um, came from for me to create it was because all the ones that I tried to utilize, all the ones that were already created, they only focused on Atlanta. Atlanta I mean, 
Georgia is Atlanta, but there are there's other stuff parts OTP of Georgia. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. So yeah. I think we've got over over 600 businesses in there now. And the episode was really special because I got to say farewell to my brother Brad Gray as he was expanding his reach to Chicago. But what really got me was his story. I appreciate that. I definitely appreciate it, man. First off, commend you because you're following your passion and your purpose and you're putting it, like you said, into your own. Um, you're making it your own. Right. You don't have to give this to anyone else. No one, no one else gets to put their hands and tell you how to produce this, how to do whatever. Like this is, this is your thing. So that's the most important thing. We've, we've talked about that, you know, um, on my end, um, you know, I applied for this job. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I wasn't, I don't want to sound pretentious, but I wasn't necessarily excited about applying for the job. Right. I had a friend who is going to work for this company. He was like, hey, man, you know, they're hiring a lot of people for this position. You should go, you know, do whatever. So, you know, I was like, all right, man. So he sent me the thing. He told me to different people. Yeah, man, you know, it's, it's, it's easy. It's, it's, you know, should be easy to get for you. Go in, do the interview. Everything, of course, with the pandemic is over Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams and stuff like that. So I do the first interview. Interview's fine. Then uh, the guy's like, all right, well, uh, and, and, and the position is like a, it's, it's, it's what's called a zone manager. It, again, good position. It's a good position and a step up I just wasn't excited and I think I knew I wasn't excited so I get uh, I get the writing test he was like you know this this guy's the the manager or whatever he's like yeah we liked you during the interview we just need you to do a writing test and then from there you know we'll let you go from you know we'll, we'll see what we can do so the writing test is like 45 minutes you gotta rewrite four stories or whatever so like I'm incredibly anxious when I take this test I struggle I actually took a little bit over an hour to take it so I sent it back to him. I just knew right then and there because it was an hour late. I'm not going to get this job. Day later, I get an email from the news director of the uh, the station. And she's like, hey, you know, we'd like to write and test. You know, I'd like to do another interview with you. I was like, oh, okay, because it was fine. Get into the interview with the lady. She's like, I'm bullshitting. We loved your writing test. But I don't have any writing positions open. But, you know, if you would like to do this, you know, we take that. 24 hours later, she says, fuck it. We'll create the position for you. Holla! We'll create. What? We'll create can you, this position. Can you say that one more time just to make sure? Like, people may miss this. So, yeah, before I, you continue <laughs> the story, I didn't there was that. So, I didn't 48 that. hours when you first applied, you applied for one position. They consulted you like, hey, we like this, but still apply for this. The next day, they're saying, you know what? We're going to, we're going to what? Tell them one more time. To, so she said, we're going to create this position and make room in our budget. For yes. To have this position. Come on, guy. You better when make I room. You, when I, when I tell you, like, you know, I'm not a, I, I'm not a, perform, I'm not an emotional performative person, but the praise dance that was done throughout <laughs> this living room Amen. and throughout this bedroom. And this living room yeah. I don't I, like. God is amazing. I don't. I don't know what more. What more else I could say outside of, you know, God will make room for your talents. Yes, there will be a space for you to cultivate your talents and for them to shine. One of my personal favorites was the Evolve episode, and it's because it was another guest who I didn't know in person, 
But they had an incredible story. Ashley Gonzalez is a social media maven. And her story, transitioning from retail, going into social media managing, to what she's doing right now, is one that definitely should get anyone that's listening off of they to the next level. So I was obviously very unhappy at the time. And it's funny because, and I think anybody who works in retail, they can relate to this. When you work in retail, it's really hard to get out of retail because it's a consistent check. You get your little benefits. Like it's a hard thing to leave the stability. What happened to me was actually at the time I was with my partner and I had broken my foot. So I was out of work. I was like on disability for a little bit because I had broke my foot. And my job is obviously requires physical, you know, stopping people and whatnot. So I had broke my foot. I was on basically like EDD for a little bit. And I went back to work and they were also bullshit. They were like, we're changing your position. We're going to make your position more of a rent cop position. And I told myself when they said that to me, I said, I can't do this anymore. Like, I truly cannot do this. So I said, how am I going to be able to transition and maybe do a role, maybe do an internship in something I'm more interested in, like social media, but still be able to have my privacy, my, you know, my own place, maybe roommates, things like that. And I said, you know what, like, you should go to L.A. My plan, of, like, initially was to go to school full time, maybe take out a couple of student loans and you know move to LA and kind of you know live on my own go to school and then kind of maybe get an internship with social media that was my plan me and my partner ended up dissolving our relationship and I was like I'm out I had just been out of a breakup I was just kind of you know decided I was going to leave my job so I left my job I left my man and I moved to LA and when I moved to LA I was still on EDD I think I was on like my last four weeks of EDD and I was just really like sad and depressed and me and my roommates, I moved with people I went to high school with, we moved down here together and I was just sad and I was like, you know what, I don't know what I'm going to do, I'm in LA, now I have to pay bills. So I ended up going back to retail for a little bit, I had quit retail obviously for a little bit, I went back and I worked at Bloomingdale's, that was my last retail job and I hated it so much that I was like, I can't do this again. So I started applying for for positions doing like a, a, like a seat, like an administrative assistant almost. And I found a role that was like, I was the assistant to the CEO and I was also doing social media for her. It was like a 50, 50 position. Okay. And I had told her like, I don't have a lot of experience, but I do have the will and the want to do it. And she gave me a chance. I started working for her for a little bit and I'm not going to lie. Like I didn't even know how to like do a zoom call. Like that's how much I did not know about um, like technology or like Facebook. Like I never used Facebook manager. And I was like, this is so new to me. But me and her just got along. And I think my personality, I will say that my personality throughout any career, like throughout my career path has helped me. And we just connected on a really personal level. And she kind of let me learn on my own. And I had the will and the want. And I would just like look up things on YouTube. And obviously with day-to-day things, I would just kind of work and do it. And eventually I kind of got like a little bit better and like learned it a little bit. But I was still pretty far behind in the social world. And then she ended up firing me because they didn't have the budget for it. It was like a multi-level marketing company. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have the budget for it. So they ended up firing me. So when she fired me, I was unemployed for, I want to tell you about six months. I was so depressed. Like always oh, wow. at home. I was like, oh my God. I was like, I'm never going to get another social media position. Like, you know, I don't, like I wasn't even really good at my job. Like I'm not going to get another position and just really like depressed to the point where like my family had to come and be like, you need to snap yourself out of this. This has never been you. So I was unemployed for six months and I started, was like, you know what, I need to start interviewing. So I started interviewing and I actually got an interview at Sony for an internship at CNET Sony, which is like the 
Latin avenue that they have that kind of focuses on movies and Spanish and stuff. Okay. So it was down to me and two other candidates, Sam. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get this. Like, I'm going to get it. They ended up not getting me the position. I was so heartbroken. I swear I've never cried over not getting a job, but I was like, I'm going to get this internship at Sony. It's going to make everything I moved to LA worth it. And then they didn't give me the internship. And at the time I had been applying and I got an interview to my current position that I'm at now. And I was like, I was bombing all my interviews for social. And I was like, I don't even want to go to this interview. And one of my friends, you probably know her, her name is Megan. She actually runs a uh, word on road for Drake, which is funny. Cause she's, she's kind of the one who got me into social. And um, she was like, I was on FaceTime with her and she was like, Ashley, you need to go into that interview and do your best. And I went into that interview and I killed it and still knew very little about social. And this was an e-com brand, never had worked with e-com, never worked with Shopify, never have used any of those programs, but she liked me for my personality and she hired me. And it's kind of been honestly history. I started off with our social platform was about like 100K followers. Now we're almost at 400,000. Our community is so engaged. We probably run, I probably run one of the best social channels in our field, in our market. Talk and your talk. I'm really, talk your I'm talk. Really, I'm going to need you I'm, like to really, like I'm going to get to the part where I'm going to really rant, gas you up, but talk your uh, talk. No, nah, but I'm honestly like I truly run right now in my in our niche market, which is really not that niche, but it is a smaller market. We run, I run. It's hard to say. I always say we because me and my boss kind of work. You know, she always helps me, and we do it together. But I run one of the largest, most engaged social platforms um, in our space, and I'm very proud of it. I do lives every week, and our lives every time have like today. I did a live. There was 1,800 people in my live for a whole hour. Like. Brands like Sephora, brands like Urban Decay, brands like, I don't know, other big brands, they're not pulling those numbers. So for me to have a reach of that many people for that long of a span of time, I'm very, very proud of that. And I've honestly just self-taught. Like, I've just been teaching myself. All of it is self-taught. I never finished college. I never did anything. And, I mean, I'm running a powerhouse right now, for sure. All right. So after that, I got to talk to one of my mentors, one of my colleagues, one of my actual big sisters in this industry, Rashawn Ali, and her episode is entitled Gifts. Now, she's got several of them, but how she got to where she is now, it took a few steps. Take a listen to this. I want you to go back before you even met Ryan Cameron, and what were you doing then, and before the radio like really took off for you in Atlanta? Well, prior to me being chosen to be on the Ryan Cameron Morning Show back then, I was... Um, Man, I had <laughs> I had like eight jobs. The, the radio was like my eighth job out of college. And I worked at LaFace Records in the music video department. And prior to that, I was Left Eye's personal assistant. Prior to that, I was working at Fox Sports South in a sh on a show called Countdown to Signing Day, where we showcased, uh, you know, extremely talented high school football athletes. And I was producer or co-producer on a show called Countdown to Signing Day Tennessee. So we had smaller shows that were um, kind of uh, under the big show called Countdown to Signing Day. I did so much just trying to figure out what my life was going to be. I mean, I didn't really have, I would say, that focused type of direction because I am a creative and I wanted to go to film school. And film school was a dream of mine right after I graduated from Florida A&M and went I uh, got accepted into American University, went to D.C. and visited and was like, oh, this is my next step. And then my mom told me no. And so I didn't I wasn't one of those children that would fight for 
really what I believed in back then. And so that answer was final. So I had to come back home and try to figure things out. And the, you know, they helped me get a job at the Atlanta Board of Education and then accounts payable department through a, a close family friend. So I was really just trying to figure out what my life was going to be. And so um, <laughs> when Ryan uh, actually auditioned, when I auditioned for the Ryan Cameron Morning Show, it was an open audition in the city. And once I was chosen as one of the top 10 finalists, uh, I guess he read my resume. He was like, man, you always been a bridesmaid. You never been a bride. I'm like, man, I'm just trying to make it out here, trying to figure out what my life was going to be. So, uh, and that and that day, what was that, 2001, it was in 01 when I auditioned for Ryan's show and then was ultimately chosen along with CJ. It really changed the trajectory of my professional career. Uh, it was just an opportunity that uh, I will forever be indebted to Ryan for for God using him to be a vessel to help change my life and be able to uh, walk into this 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 crazy world of multimedia, <laughs> which uh, you know can be amazing one day and then the next day. Thank you for your services. We know how that goes. So prior to Ryan, I was just trying to figure it out. And I think it's, it's all still a journey. I'm still trying to figure out what my next move is. I think that when God gives you so many gifts, and I'm so blessed to have so many gifts and talents that I can do a plethora of things and, and so many things make me happy. Uh, I just wrote on my dry erase board, like all the things that I have to get done. And those include writing scripts for um, something that I'm creating, a show idea I just came up with, and then auditioning, and then I'm helping with another show where I'm um, training a talent. So God has given me all of those gifts, and I always challenge people when I speak. I'm like, if God placed it on your heart, how dare you not try? So I would be doing a disservice to the gifts that I've been given um, by a higher source by not even attempting to try them. So I think that's truly blasphemy when you don't try or at least attempt to channel the gifts that God has given you. So, I mean, whether it's radio, television, acting, uh, writing, uh, being a mother, being an, an, an author for a children's book, I want to do it all. And uh, I don't see why anybody who, who has the gifts, who have the gifts, don't at least attempt it. And I definitely couldn't forget this moment. When you put things out in the universe, good or bad, it will come to you. Um, and so uh, I was putting all good things. And so that gave me the opportunity to be a, a part of Camp Quarantine, where we were on Tyler Perry Studios. Before. I was there for 11 days. And the fact that I still did radio from <laughs> my room yeah. at Tyler Perry Studios. Yeah. I logged on, I think, out of the 11 days I was there, I only had to like call in maybe one day. So I ended up doing like five, six days while I was still um, in Tyler Perry Studios. It was just, it was just phenomenal. I was like, wow, man, this is great. I'm on the radio. People don't even know I'm literally in, in camp quarantine in Tyler Perry Studios. Like it was just so awesome. So yeah, and just more and more opportunities with the marketing deals and all kinds of stuff through my broadcast and television agency. So it's just, um, things are continuing to, to to move, you know, I hit a I hit a low point where I had to like really, really um, deal with my anxiety because I do suffer from mild anxiety and just because you know sometimes when things are really, really good and then they slow down, you gotta you, sometimes you have to make sure that you don't let yourself go down with with it either. So I've had to really get myself back up out of that valley, and I'm just now climbing back out of that. So I want your listeners to know that that uh, again. You'll have amazing times too, 
but you'll have times that you'll know you have to pick yourself up a little bit you know you have to have a little bit more weight on your shoulders to pick yourself up to get back moving so um it's the ebbs and flows of life but the, i think the great thing about it is how do you respond to the ebbs and flows of life I, it almost got me last time and i was like man what is going on like what is going on and so i had to like figure it out come up out of it get back to those things that i was doing prior to standing in gratitude being present writing things down being grateful manifesting things that i want in my life praying um, being kind to myself i'm very good at being kind to others um, but just learning how to make sure i'm kind to myself so this month being black history month i had to catch up with collins Petaway the third his service episode was really great but that follow-up though he goes into detail on why Black History Month is so important. And you have to remember, Frederick Douglass taught himself how to read. And I actually use Frederick Douglass as the best example for Black History Month because he taught himself how to read. When he learned how to read, he learned how to comprehend. When he, when he was able to comprehend, he started asking questions. When he asked questions, he got answers. When he got answers, he got mad. And so the thing is, it's so important that we preserve our history in the best way possible because of things that we're seeing right now. You know, um, it, people sometimes don't even believe the accomplishments that Black people did. Even, the, even some of the smallest accomplishments to something small such as the traffic light, uh, the, uh, the telephone, the telephone, the, the, the lamp, the iron, so many different things that we have done, but we sometimes don't know about it or it's whitewashed. We literally are at the, we literally sit at the foundation of this country physically, spiritually, mentally, and innovatively. And so we just, we first have to appreciate Black History Month for what it is. As long as you have people such as Donald Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Trumpism, the Trumpers out there, the Lindsey Grahams, the Tea Parties, um, and unfortunately, people like Tim Scott people like Ben Carson, people like Austin Chin that's mm -hmm. up in Michigan who decided who who's running on the platform that he's going to get rid of black history. Black right. History. Yeah. And, and so as long as you have these people out there, you have to appreciate Black History Month and you have to do everything you can to preserve it. Literally, Black History is what you and I are doing at this very moment right now as we continue to educate our people on the advancements that we are doing, we have done, and that we will continue to do. And we cannot stop, and that cannot stop. And the, another thing I wanna also point out is Black History Month is not for us. It's not. The, the need to educate our history and the need for people to know what Black people have done, that's not for Black people. We know, we know what we are. We know mm -hmm. who we are. We know, we, we know we're the shit. We do. And so, it's for those white people out there who don't know anything about us, who just assume that we're still the property that the Constitution originally regarded us for. And so we have to keep that in mind that Black History Month is not just for us. It is for them. It is for white people. It is for the people who did not even want us to be in this place where we are right now. I got to catch up with one of my hometown heroes, Scooter. Y'all don't know him as Scooter, but that's my guy, Vincent Quarles. In this episode, Hope gave me that and then some. Here's what he hopes his lasting impressions can be. I tell people, prison made me a man. I was a boy when I went to prison. And I'm not saying I wasn't a, a young man when I went, but my thinking was wrong. Everything that I did was wrong. 
but I had to own up to it. You know what I mean? Like when you when you have to own up to things and you have to apologize for something that you've done, everybody ain't gonna like that because you just apologize and they don't care just because you apologize because you hurt them already. Right. But to get that peace and know that you did that part, I can't I can't make you not be mad at me. I can't make you want to want to be my friend again or however that goes. But I know I I did my part. So now I go forward. I can't go backwards. Backwards ain't going to get me nowhere but the wrong thinking. Right. So when you go forward with the process of your life, like you're not going to go back to the same argument that you had with somebody 10 years ago just just for the sake of it. Because now I'm looking at my conversations as this. Your conversation is not doing nothing for me. It's not helping me grow. It's not helping the people around you grow. But we're not going to have this conversation. Right. And that's where thinking, my thinking has changed. And it actually helped me think for the better because you take those negative things away from you and surround yourself with great people. And, and the people that's thinking just like you, you get the likeliness of it. And lastly, I actually had this episode last year. And it was something that was very, very important to me because it was something that I was like directly affected by. And it was one of the catalysts that actually made me do this podcast. So my OG, my mentor, Georgia Radio Hall of Famer, National Black Radio Hall of Famer, and now will be the PA announcer for the NBA All-Star Game here in Atlanta, Georgia, March 7th on TNT, Ryan Cameron. He had a lot to share with me, and I'm definitely taking this with me wherever I go. I mean, nowadays, it's very hard. You know, I ask anybody who's listening to the podcast right now, you know, um, what do I do now? When's the last time you actually call somebody on the telephone? I mean, other than your your mom, if you're fortunate enough to have that person in your life or your father, you don't really talk on the phone. Everything is about texting. You know, you text this, you text that. And I think if anything that we get out of the pandemic, that people realize that they really miss the contact. I mean, texting it, it, it sucks during a during a pandemic. So you want to talk to people. You want to have a a conversation with people. I think uh, again, to your point, man, it's just like. It's not the same. You know, the one thing about all these things that we're learning is that people really need human touch and interaction. We're seeing around the country suicides are up. Depression is up. You know, young people who are used to going to class and going to college and being on the yard, all that stuff is affecting them because they're not used to virtual anything. So that's why you're seeing more cases of people out there risking it all. And unfortunately, people are dying because they really want to have that interaction. And that's a gift and a curse because you can't do that during a pandemic. For you as a father, for your three kids, I mean, especially trying to just make sure you make it home to them, what was something that was, like, really going through your mind or kept you motivated once you realized what is what it was going on? I, I don't know if, you know, you, you can really say what was motivated because, again, in my situation, I didn't really find out what was happening until it had already happened. Okay. So... You know, it's not like I woke up and said from being in a, a coma, it's like, man, I'm really about to be about this life because I, I didn't know what was going on. All I knew is I was, you know, in the state of mind where it was as real as they could get, you know, and that's why I say to anyone, you know, one of the things that people fear so much is is death. And I think that it's the one thing that we will all uh, have to face and never escape. But you also should know that, uh, you know, when you're going through something, the, the fear, you can't have fear and faith at the same time. So, you know, once I, uh, you know, came back around and started to understand what was going on. But again, it was basically after I was home because I was at St. Joseph's 
and they are a teaching hospital. So, you know, that's one of those things where I was having people that were coming in, it would be the main doctor, and then there'd be like four or five other people. And I was like, man, I'm going to be really messed up. And it was like, no, 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 this is da-da-da-da-da. He's trying to learn. So I, I got it after that. But for me, as far as, um, you know, the the I never, like when I had my first child, I had to have life insurance because I had child support, um, you know, things that I had with the court. So it was like, if something happens to you, you know, want to make sure that Ryan is going to be taken care of. So, you know, a lot of people, and especially people of color, there's always a, a GoFundMe or something like that for something that they should probably just take care of if they can and get insurance and things of that nature, you know, because, um, you know, we're all going to have to meet our maker one day. So I was not really concerned about all that stuff because that was in order, except for the, you know, like you said, not the power of attorney, but the first person of contact in case of a medical emergency. But other than that, we was good because I'd already planned for that many, many years ago. What is one thing that post your health situation that you've made a more conscious decision in doing? Um, You know, I don't think it's been like, I think that what I've learned out of all of this is that if you are faithful enough and can survive, then the sky is the limit. The, the, the limits you put on yourself and the ramifications of what you think somebody's going to say or do or think, it really doesn't matter. You just have to be true to yourself. And I think uh, this pandemic I mean, my doctors always say, let me tell you this quick story. One of my doctors, you know, he said, well, you know, when I was doing the hyperbaric chamber thing, which has now been proven to make people's cells younger uh, and older people, it's almost like the fountain of youth for them. And I did 40 dives uh, of that. And you can look up hyperbaric chamber and see what that is. It's just basically like oxygen at 100% for your entire body. So it, it promotes healing and, and all kinds of stuff. But my first doctor, you know, um, he, um, Dr. Schwegman, um, at Hyperbaric Chamber uh, out in uh, Emory, he said, I got to look at uh, your chart. And I was like, okay, before I allow you to do this. So he said, I'll look at it tonight, and then I'll call you tomorrow. He said, man, next day, the first thing I said, how you doing, Dr. Schwegman? He was like, man, I'm just glad that you're here. He said, I'm, I'm just glad you're here. Because it was so many things that were going on simultaneously that it was about a 50-50. You know, 50 is, is is that ain't 60-40. That ain't, you know, 70-30. That's 50-50, either making it or not making it. And being able to come off of that and, and go through dialysis and come off of that and having a collapsed lung and come off of that and a heart valve replacement and come off of that, you know, I, I understand what faith is. And I understand that I've, I've got a lot of things that are in my favor. And I always say this, if I, if I will answer your question, mm-hmm. is that, if you give good, you get good. And my life has been based on my grandmothers telling me to try to always help when you can. And when you think you least need it, you will see that it will come back a hundredfold. And that's what has happened in my situation. I believe that because I've led my life trying to do what I can to help people any way I can, that when it was time for someone to help me, being the higher power, it was a no-brainer, and God was like, nah, we don't need you yet, bro. Go on back down and keep doing what you do. And that's what we're doing, man. And, God uh, didn't want you, bro. That's that's what it is. That, yeah. For, you know, <laughs> that's the that's comedians what they, that called yeah, in. All the comics say that. Yeah, uh, ah, ha, ha, ha. yeah. well, you know, I mean, I, I'm glad because in this year, I, I've lost my agent. I, I've lost my pastor. I've lost my 
cousin who's a great comedian, Tyler Craig. I mean, a lot of people uh, have not made it through, man. And so I'm very blessed uh, to be here and continue to do what I love for, it'll be 30 years in February, believe it or not, the 30-year anniversary of, uh, of doing this radio, which I started out as, like you, as an intern. So to be able to put kids through college and put food on the table and, and live a great life, I'm very blessed, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to, uh, you know, proud of you and what you're doing with this platform, and uh, hopefully this will help people realize, you know, that life is not uh, a given and it's not promised, and you should live every day like it's your last because you never know, but not to put gloom and doom on everything, but, you know, go out there and enjoy your life. And the pandemic has put a, a damper on so many things, but if you can, you know, stay safe and stay vigilant, then you should be able to keep on keeping on, and that's what we're doing. Every one of my guests have been amazing. I wish I could post them all in the same episode, but that's why this is a best of, which means you can check out all the episodes right now. They are available for you at your leisure. Definitely check those out. And next Monday, March 1st, 2021, I'm doing my season finale. If you want to go back and get kind of a walk up to what I'm doing, listen to Halftime. That's the one I did. And I'm going to pick up basically from 2016 to where I am presently. A lot of personal things happen, and I just want to finally clear the air on that. Straight up, no ifs, buts, ums, anything. I'm just going to be honest with it. This is deeper than Red Table Talk. This is what do I do now.